Listen up, MuggleCast listeners. Summer is here, and what better time than now to say big at GoDaddy.com. Get your own shared hosting account with 150 gigs of storage, 1,500 gigs of bandwidth, and 500 email accounts for $664 per month when you sign up for one year. Plus, by entering code POTTER, that's P-O-T-T-E-R, you will receive an additional 20% off of any one, two, or three-year shared hosting plan. Some restrictions apply. Check out the site for details. Get your piece of the internet at GoDaddy.com. This is, this is Professor McGonagall welcoming you to all to MuggleCast. Hoping you enjoyed. Dobby, Dobby, come here. Yeah, Dobby. Yes, well, I'd just like to say how very pleased I am to introduce MuggleCast to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Because the Democrats have a presidential nominee before we have a teaser trailer, this is MuggleCast, episode 149, for June 15, 2008. Alright, we managed to keep Micah off uh, the west side of Manhattan this week. Micah, thanks for joining us. Oh, no problem, Andrew. I mean, you know, we, we enjoyed playing Spy on Tannenbaum, but there's nothing like having you back in the studio. Yeah, I like how you're uh, being so kind to me after last week you guys had a few good laughs on my behalf. No, yeah. we didn't. Oh, I was, laugh- I was laughing. What are you talking about? Oh, well, well. maybe I just misheard <laughs> when I was listening to the show. Why would we make fun of you, Micah? Oh, I don't know. You're a friend. We would yeah. never do anything like that. Never. Well, you got a. Uh, we got a reply from Janet, who, who was downing Micah. Isn't that right? Yeah. yeah. She uh, she apologized. She said that she's written into the show so many times, and she was kind of uh, feeling a little bad that of all the emails that she sent in, that this was the one that made it on air. So, um, <laughs> but you know what? Everyone's entitled to their opinion, right? I mean, if that's how she really felt, then that's fine. I can take it. Sure. Yeah, you're a big guy. Well, um, you can redeem yourself this week because we have a lot to discuss, as always. And can you promise the audience that you'll be completely 100% into oh, it? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so sure. if I bring up a new Half-Blood Prince picture, will you like... Andrew, we need to take s- small steps, Andrew. Small steps. All right. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Laura Thompson. I'm Micah Tannenbaum. And I'm Matt Britton. Well, we're recording early this week, but um, there's one big news story uh, this week. Isn't that right, Micah? You want to take over the news I again? I will. Yeah, I heard uh, you took care of things last week. How'd that go? Mm-hmm. I love not being so in- good. <laughs> no, that's not true. I love being a news anchor. It was, it was very fun. Thanks, Matt, for being honest. Uh, anyway, 
Sure. Yeah, I knew what he was going to um, say. But uh, the whole Harry Potter prequel that J.K. Rowling was writing uh, for charity was auctioned off. And uh, it sold for close to 25,000 pounds, which is uh, almost 49,000 U.S. dollars. And it was uh, the winning bidder was Hira Digpal, who's a president of a Tokyo-based investment consulting company. Um, and uh, the the auction overall raised around uh, 47,000 pounds. And what's interesting about what Hira wants to do. And I hope I pr- I'm pronouncing his name right. Uh, but he actually wants to auction this off again and raise more money for charity, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it is. It's an interesting idea. Um, I was surprised by how much it sold for. I was expecting it to go for higher when you're comparing J.K. Rowling's Tales of Beetle the Bard, which went for almost $2 million. Yeah, but I mean, this is a little bit different. This is a very small version of you know her works 800 it's like, what, words a page yeah so it's like two pages long yeah and, and and this one's open to the public to read too i mean we we ourselves even read it yeah this isn't as yeah i just think that anything by jk rowling no matter what the size would go for a lot of money mm-hmm. i don't know i mean that is a lot of money and it's great that it went to charity Laura, what do you think? Uh, I kind of have to agree with Matt just because um, there was a certain rarity attached to Beetle Labard, whereas with this, anyone can read it. So I would think, I mean, as bad as it sounds, people aren't going to be as inclined to bid on something that they're going to be able to read for free. Mm-hmm. But I just wonder, I mean, you know, it's a big difference, $50,000 versus two, almost $2 million. Well, it's a big uh, difference between just... this... This um yeah, this thing that she wrote and the Beetle of the Bard. I know. And Beetle of the Bard had so many stories. I mean, it was all full of her illustrations, and it's a little different. Well, the other thing was, didn't um, Hiram mention that he wanted to be woken up in Tokyo if his limit was surpassed? And I don't know if we learned what his limit was, but you know, it, it's just kind of interesting to see that it didn't possibly go for as much as it could have. Right. Yeah, that's true. And I was thinking, you know, 50000 hell, I mean, we could have won that thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, actually, it says in um, Bloomberg News that he had a closed bid of 50,000 pounds before having his offer. So he was willing to pay up to 50,000 pounds, which is less than the auction oh, wow. overall earned. So he got a bargain. Yeah, there wasn't even much of a bidding war. So let's talk about the actual story, I guess, shall we? Laura, you read it most recently, so it's most fresh in your head. What what did you think of this story? I thought it was a cute, kind of quaint story. The way I've always felt about the Marauders was even though um, the presence of Voldemort was extremely... um, huge in their lives like it was in Harry's it always seems like what we learned about them was so much more lighthearted than a lot of Harry's stories yeah. so this was just a nice little story about James and Sirius getting um well attempted they were attempted to be pulled over by cops for speeding on the motorbike but it was cute they were really cheeky and very sarcastic exactly yeah. the way you'd imagine those characters so yeah the- Kind of like a Starsky and Hutch kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, it was like it was a nice little tidbit. They actually reminded me a lot of Fred and George when yeah. I was reading it. Yeah, the kind of back and forth. I kind of 
feel bad that we, in hindsight, we probably shouldn't have called it a Harry Potter prequel. It just doesn't like the 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 name is a bit misleading because mm. it like this story didn't really relate to the Harry Potter stories. Um, do you guys know what I mean? Yeah. yeah well, it's it's no prequel to Harry. In, yeah. In retrospect, it's pretty much just like a little novelty piece of the of his father and his best friend. Yeah. I guess it is telling. It is pretty informational for us Potter fans. Um, it gives us an idea of you know what the what kind of thing James and Sirius would do on an average night. I assume they they were they would uh, cause trouble like that pretty often. Mm-hmm. You think they drank a little bit too much butterbeer? Maybe. Now, something that I was kind of confused by when I read this, um, I know that there's obviously a restriction for underage wizardry, and they clearly weren't underage here. But I'd always been under the impression that there was also a restriction against magic in front of muggles. You know what? I actually thought of that same thing too while I was reading. What's mm-hmm. up with that? It just they're reckless. I mean, obviously they wouldn't care. But I just wonder, like, if this was something they did regularly, you know, they would have to get in trouble for it, right? I mean, yeah, right. So maybe they didn't do it regularly. But even still, they would probably get in trouble after this situation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because, I mean, the ministry can track everything. I mean, well, they take the trace off when you turn 17. Yeah. So maybe yeah. they, I don't know, maybe they don't. And they would really have a hard time proving it. I mean. But right. I mean, you know. I mean, look at what happened to um, Harry and Ron when they used the um, the flying car. I mean, it was it was a huge risk exposure. Yeah, they had that's to, um, true. But I mean, then again, they didn't. There weren't that many people that actually saw James and Sirius. Yeah. So, you know, it, it would be, probably be a lot easier for them to erase the uh, Muggle police officer's mind rather than, you know. Like a, a whole, whole group of yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, if, if you're a police officer, who's going to believe that story that, you know, all of a sudden the police car raised on its back wheels and, you know, knocked you, knocked you to the ground? There probably would be damage on the car, and maybe there would be no other way to explain it, because there's no other evidence. The, the two know. guys that you pulled over got on a motorcycle and uh, flew away. Yeah. <laughs> What did you guys think of um, the nicknames that I think it was James who came up with? Oh, yeah, when the the officer said names, like trying to get them to give their names, and he started... Right. Yeah, that was cute. Bathsheba, Elvin Dork. Everyone really liked... I was looking in the comments. Everybody everybody really liked Elvin Dork. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of so random. Which is unisex, (laughs) by the way. That was funny. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah, it all that also strongly reminded me of something Fred and George would do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. it seemed that this was written probably pretty easily. I know she kind of alludes to that at the end. Um, yeah, she did. But it, it just kind of kind of shows you that if she really wanted to, she could go down this avenue and and continue to write about something like the Marauders. Yeah, mm-hmm. and even if she wrote little stories just like this one. Mm-hmm. Say you, she wrote like twenty, thirty of them, threw them in a book, little two-page stories. This would sell like crazy. Absolutely, mm-hmm. that's true. So it's interesting. I guess the one thing that did bother me was that there was no room for development. I mean, I prefer a Harry Potter where there's development and mm-hmm. you know a lot more detail. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that was and the I'm, big I'm sh- problem with the story. I'm sure part. Joe was dying, only having 
only being limited to right on the front and back of a piece of paper. Think about how many of these types of stories she must have in her head or written down somewhere that she could just throw together. And right, right. It would uh, certainly appease a lot of people in between now and whenever she plans on releasing an encyclopedia. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So I guess it's really all that's going on in the news this week. As I said, we are recording earlier in the week, so there's not as much news available to us. There's a new photo of Harry and Ginny available. Michael, what do you think of that new photo from Half-Blood Prince? Mm. There's a new photo from Half-Blood Prince? Why, yes, Micah, there is. Wow. That's that's just that's unbelievable. You know that? I know. It's really exciting. It's um I really like your it's hair. Harry <laughs> it's pretty. Harry and Ginny are just hugging. It looks like it's in the burrow. It's it's nice. It's kind of bright. It's kind of bright. Matt thinks it could be from the teaser trailer. I think it's just too theatrical of, of of a piece. I mean, you know, when they release pictures, it's usually like an established shot or something. This looks to me like like it was just like a snapshot or something from something else. Yeah, from like a video. And I was just thinking it's probably the teaser trailer. I think the quality of the photo hints at that too. It looks like I don't know. yeah, it's it's not as yeah, you know, just I, I I don't know how to explain it. It just doesn't look like the photos that we've been getting. You know what I from, think you have to do, really seriously, what? What? is is WB is is putting these photos online, and what you have to do is you have to print them out, put them in sequential order from when they were released, and make like a flip book, and that'll be your teaser trailer. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> and add some music like yeah. in in iMovie on go. Mac. You can add some music. Oh, that'd be cool. We should do that and put it on YouTube. Wow, good idea, Micah. You know, speaking of the teaser trailer, um, June twentieth is quickly approaching, which is when Get Smart WB's Get Smart will be released, and um, some people may remember. Um, well, this is this is now. The film that's rumored to have the teaser trailer on it. Mm-hmm. My Potter senses are tingling. <laughs> the Order of the Phoenix um, DVD came with a preview of Get Smart. So people are saying, oh, well, this is a little hint that maybe they're using... The, 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 both franchises are using each other to pump the promotion up. So um, if there is a teaser trailer with Get Smart on this coming Friday... Then it looks like we'll probably probably be doing a live show sometime that weekend. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a smart idea. Um, so, ke- no pun intended. What? Um, <laughs> because does this get smart appeal to the same audience as Harry Potter? I mean, I know you got WB no. connection, but no. And Steve Carell, yeah, but- he's a funny guy, but I don't really think the demographic, age-wise, for Harry Potter is going to be going to see Get Smart. I don't know. No. I mean, I thought it looked like something that parents would take. I I thought it looked kind of like a family movie, like mm-hmm. the kind of thing that parents are going to take their kids to. You know? Yeah. I mean, they'll they'll take their kids to see Get Smart before they go see The Dark Knight. And that seems to be the other film that people are that that, that we're just debating whether it's going to be released with The Dark Knight or Get Smart. And I think. If if they were to pick the two, I would they would pick Get Smart because it would just incline people to go see Get Smart more than The Dark Knight. People, er, WB knows a whole bunch of people are going to go see The Dark Knight anyway, but they'll probably be more inclined to advertise that the Harry Potter trailer will be on for Get Smart, so people will go see that movie more. Yeah, it's a, I agree with that because. Um 
for people who don't know, Get I believe Get Smart is actually based on an older TV series by Mel Brooks. Yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so not as many people can identify with that as can with Batman. So they already know people are going to go see that. So why yeah, not right. throw Harry Potter on to Get Smart? Just to throw up more publicity to go, you know, get the numbers up for that film. I'm trying to find the, the rating of Get Smart 2 because, I mean, Dark Knight's going to be rated PG-13. I believe so. I think I think Get Smart's PG thirteen. Oh, okay. All right. Well, either way, uh, I'm sure an announcement will appear on MuggleNet early in the week, and um, well, when, when there's an announcement, it will appear on MuggleNet, and then we will be twittering and <laughs> announcing that uh, whenever we'll be doing our live show to discuss the teaser trailer, which also will be our 150th episode, which leads us into our announcements this week. Um, Micah, we're trying to put some plans together for episode 150, isn't that right? Uh, yeah, we are. One of the ideas that we came up with was we wanted to get the fans' um, favorite moment, or even favorite episode maybe too much, but kind of the favorite moment over the past 149 episodes, um, <laughs> you know. and <laughs> There's a lot of moments. There, there's a lot of moments, but we want to pick out the very best, and fans can uh, submit the parts that they think were the best and they can do that by sending an email to you right mm-hmm. well how many how many are you do you think we'll, we'll post uh, well what we'll do is we'll play them throughout the live show like before and after breaks I'm thinking it would probably be the best time so we could play them throughout the show and oh, be so like, there'll be a lot before we're gonna take a break but first and then you know here's a couple um moments so yeah maybe we'll try to fit in like eight to ten that sounds about right. i mean that's a lot yeah. yeah yeah that that would be a lot so if we do like two each break or something um or four each break that would that would that would be good and we want people to do some research really go back into these episodes and and find the the very best moments go as far back as episode one you know don't don't just yeah. be like oh, okay i'm gonna look over the last 20 episodes and find the best you know, moments. No, we want you to go through all, yeah, of them. and we, and we'll know, and we'll know if you don't go to the first one first. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be honest. We're busy. We're busy right now. We don't really have time to um go back to the archives and pull out our favorite moments. Besides, it's it's the listeners who made the show what it is today. So why not let you guys decide what the best moments are? Um. So send those into Andrew at staff.mugglenut.com. All you need to do is give email me. Uh, in the subject line, put uh best of Mugglecast entry explain why it's your favorite moment include your name and also the time code so if you're listening to mugglecast right now look at your ipod mp3 player or your computer and you see that little time that's clicking by it may say 25 minutes 30 seconds 31 32 send in that time code along with your email where the moment begins and then i will go back pull it and then there you go. We've been getting a lot of entries already because this uh, news has already been posted on MuggleCast.com. In other news, Laura, would you like to enlighten everyone about where we're going to be this summer? Prison? <laughs> Prison? Wow. Oh, oh, you mean before that. Um, we're going to be in Dallas, <laughs> Texas at Portis 2008, <laughs> um, which is going to be really fun. I feel like I say the same thing about this every week, but it's going to be awesome, so you should register. <laughs> it's going to be so fetch <laughs> we, we got to keep plugging it as much as possible because um it's coming up soon and we'll make sure everyone can come um i made a mistake last week i said the podcast is on saturday it's not on saturday it's on friday duh 
So, yes. God, Andrew, you can't even get your own venue time. Yeah, yet? I know. My my bad, but, but now I know. What time is it? This is, is terrible. Though? It's going to be it's going to be at midnight. So it is Saturday. So technically You were right. Technically it's Saturday, but if you tell people Saturday Saturday, they're going to show up Saturday night. So um and no one mm-hmm. will be there. The Palooza starts around um, 6 or 7. They're actually going to put the podcasting panel, which is going to be all the podcasters like talking about podcasting at the start of the Palooza. That will be – I don't know the exact time yet. They even nailed that down. But MuggleCast will begin at midnight. Also, also, also – Sorry to keep talking. The MuggleCast – we are going to do a MuggleCast meetup at Portis so we can hang out with you guys more for a couple hours at a designated time. I mean we'll see you throughout the event multiple times. But um, we're going to have a MuggleCast meetup most likely in the common room. There's this, there's going to be a room in the hotel called the common room. Um that Portis is owning, so to speak. And there's going to be a time for MuggleCaster, MuggleCast listeners to hang out there. And we want to have lots of fun. We'll have games. We'll try to have some food. We'll have some music, some cool music. Cool music. Not and, of like- course, we'll be there. So um, we'll announce when the MuggleCast meetup is as soon as we have that nailed down. But I thought that would be a lot of fun, you know, to spend some extra time with the listeners. Right, guys? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, that sounds great. Um, So that... That is that. Yeah, and that is that. Jim Dale's going to be a Portis too. That's another reason to go, right? No that's way! A- Shut up. That's a, that's an excellent reason to go. Jim Dale will be there. I hear he does voices. Plus, everything's bigger in Texas, so you'll have fun, uh, including the fun. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to Muggle Mail this week. Uh, the first Muggle Mail comes from Chris. Prythurch Roberts, 28 of Wales. He says, Hi all. First, I'd like to say what a fantastic show you guys put on and how I really appreciate all the hard work you put in. I've only recently been able to listen to your shows, even though I've been following MuggleNet almost from the start. I think that you should not go to two weeks or when news breaks shows. Um, that's not English. Uh, I think that you should not go to two week shows or when news breaks. I would prefer shorter, perhaps 30 minutes weekly shows you should ask for a fan referendum as to how you should proceed once you have finished the chapter by chapter and for any segment suggestions keep up the amazing job you do chris okay well i think that's a good idea i like what he's saying there maybe a weekly half hour show that yeah, could be fun but i mean half hour i mean we spend half hour alone just talking about the news well exactly that's all we oh. need well, maybe maybe news and fun segment. I don't know. There's still a lot to be decided. It's hard to yeah. It's hard to figure out what to do. Um, our next email comes from Stephanie, 17 of Texas. She writes, "Hi, Mugglecasters. So, um, I was just wondering why Snape didn't get a song played from in episode 148." He's one of the most pivotal people in the series, and I think he deserves some closure. Maybe you all just forgot. Anyway, keep up the good work. I love you. I love all of you, especially those of you who haven't fallen prey to Stephanie Myers' ab- abomination of a series. Twilight makes me want to gag. <laughs> Seriously. Ooh. Dang. I love this. Ooh, I, lo- I love this whole ouch, fight between ouch. the Twilight fans and the, and the Harry Potter fans. It's, it, it's so f- hilarious to watch. Well, the, for anyone who also does not like Twilight, you can visit twilightsource.com for a complete <laughs> list of why you should hate Twilight. Uh, um, so we did forget, we'll admit, we did forget to play a song for Snape. This was um, the fault of, I guess, all of us. 
Micah had an idea, and then I forgot to get the song. Except and- me. It's not my fault. I wasn't there. <laughs> but I did text you and ask you for what the song was before we started, and you never replied. So Okay, well, we will play the song now. Micah, what is the song we will be playing for Snape? Uh, the song is by The Who. It's called Behind Blue Eyes, even though... Um, you know, there's that little issue about the eyes. They were black, <laughs> but, you know, we, we can't be perfect. We'll just say they're Dan's eyes. Pay attention to the lyrics. That's what's the most important thing. No one knows what it's like To be the bad man To be the sad man Behind the blue eyes No one knows what it's like To be hated To be faded To telling only lies But my dreams They aren't as empty As my conscience seems to be Alright, and there you go Rest in peace, Snape. How we love you. Our last mail mail comes from Lauren, 16, of Peachtree City, Georgia. She writes, In the episode 148 chapter-by-chapter discussion, you guys commented on why Voldemort was in the Shrieking Shack. One of you mentioned that Voldemort knew it was there because it had been there before the Marauders. However, if I remember correctly, Lupin discloses in Book 3 that the Shrieking Shack was built for his purposes to use during the nights in which he transformed into a werewolf. He needed a safe place, and thus the Shrieking Shack was built and the Whomping Willow was planted. I'm pretty sure this is what happened, but I might be wrong, so just let me know what you guys think. So there's been a there's been a lot of debate about this. Um, this what what did you guys think it was? Mm. I always thought I thought I thought they did the whole Whomping Willow and the and the tunnel to the Shrieking Shack was for Lupin, but I forgot that that Dumbledore actually made that. Yeah, see, I thought that that was all created for him, but I didn't know that the actual shack itself had been yeah, created that's for him. Yeah. So I decided to look this up because I was tired of hearing, you know, people go back and forth on this. I, Mikey even said it wasn't created just for Lupin, but Mikey was wrong about this. The quote is from Prisoner of Azkaban, and I don't have a page number because I looked it up on um, a digital copy, but this is from the book. The truth is that it was planted because I came to Hogwarts. This is Lupin speaking. This house, Lupin looked miserably around the room. The tunnel that leads to it. They are built for my use. Once a month, I was smuggled out of the castle into this place to transform. The tree was placed at the tunnel mouth to stop anyone coming across me while I was dangerous. So there you go. It was... Yeah. That's... I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. All right. Well, it's time to move on to chapter by chapter this week. We're talking about um, chapter 32. Um, Actually, the... 33. 33? Yes. The Prince's Tale. Ooh, how about that tale? So, um, there's a couple of things to start off this chapter by chapter discussion. There's a couple of things that really grinded my gears personally. Um, everyone will remember that a couple of weeks ago we discussed how um, the whole midnight request that 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 uh, that Voldemort made and how I thought it was very Cinderella-ish. Well, this time instead of the midnight style request, Voldemort gives Harry an hour to present himself, and um, I think. I, I, what do you think was the difference between why do you think he gave Harry an hour this time instead of a half hour because it's sort of like okay you're making me wait longer let me give you even longer you know what I mean um, well 
right now the situation's changed a little bit. A lot of people have died now. And so he's trying to use the guilt trip on Harry now. And he's saying, well, you know, okay, dude, you have one hour or we're going to do the same exact thing we just did. But now, but next time it's going to be everybody. Mm. So you let your friends die for you. You have one hour to stop this from happening again. Right. And I mean, he even says uh, that he will join the fight himself, which is, you know, yeah. that's obviously going to cause more casualties just by him showing up. So after this request, mm-hmm. Voldemort says, um, he'll, what, what was the quote? I don't, I don't have it here. Voldemort says basically that he will, um, do, do you want to sacrifice more people, Harry? Blah, 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 blah. Oh, okay. Um, and Ron says, don't listen to him. And at this point, I was thinking, what? Really? I mean, Shouldn't they be thinking about the students a little more in this situation? Like, I know Harry has to do this, but maybe should he? Shouldn't the, there been a little more? I think he. I think Ron was just telling Harry, "Don't listen to him." Based on you know the whole guilt trip that that Voldemort was trying to put on Harry. Yeah, because he's going to kill everybody anyway. I mean, if these people have been by Harry's side to this point and they've already suffered a mass slaughter, then there's no reason to assume that they would just you know, pick up their swords on Voldemort's side of the battle. Of course they wouldn't, regardless of what, you know, happened to Harry. So they were going to die anyway. Not to say that that degrades the, um, <laughs> not to say that degrades their lives, but it just shows that they have something worth fighting for, you know? Yeah. It's true. Something that kind of surprised me is what he said right at the beginning of the chapter when he was doing this whole, you know, voice over the PA like you're in high school type of thing <laughs> where you get called down to the principal's office or something. But he said every drop of magical blood spilled is a loss and a waste. That doesn't sound like Voldemort to me, you know? Mm-hmm. He's it, trying to... Was, I don't know if he was trying to use it to his own advantage. He's trying or... to, he was trying to persuade some the, the survivors to stop fighting yeah, I was for just, Harry. I, I was just going to say, who, who was he addressing? I think he was addressing the the people who are still either injured or alive in the castle. Yeah, I would think he's just trying to get on the good side of the people he wants. Yeah. Because now they're a little more, you know, vulnerable. Battle so Well, he's trying to appeal to their um, survival their, instinct. Their best interest, which is, yeah, their survival interests. Yes. So, um... And you can also relate it to when a politician says something along those lines. You know, yeah. they, um, they have a certain agenda they're trying to achieve and they try to make it sound like they're doing it for the good of the people when really it's personal agenda. Read my lips. No new taxes. Really? Politicians do that? We see a few cameos um, in this chapter in the very beginning. We see Madame Pomfrey again, who's um, treating a lot of the injured people uh, in the castle, and we see um, friends who um, who fought in the battle as well. And he apparently is uh, badly injured. His flank is poured with blood, and he shook where he laid. So he's in pretty bad shape. And and then the sad part where Harry uh, finally sees where all the the dead bodies are being laid. They're being laid in the middle of the uh, Great Hall. And I think now was the time that J.K. Rowling let um, the readers grieve a little more for Fred Weasley's death. Because we never really had a chance to because it was the, the pace was so fast. But um, now we see Mrs. Weasley. She's she's outstretched on Fred's body, shaking. And we see um, f- uh, Mr. Weasley just crying, holding her head. We see George kneeling at Fred's head. 
and we we also uh, we see Hermione um, approaching Ginny to hug her, and and Ron is embraced by his two older brothers, Bill and Percy, and his sister-in-law Fleur. And um, this was just a sad scene to behold. Yeah, and like Matt pointed out earlier to me, there's really you can really feel the change in mood in this scene. It's 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 so somber. You can actually feel it, can't you? Yeah, it's it's you know the the part where it's unnaturally quiet in the book states how Hogwarts was um, almost too quiet that it was unnatural, and uh, it's just sad. And then yeah, it, it couldn't make the situation any more dist- um, more upsetting than seeing both Lupin and Tonks's um, dead bodies right next to Fred's. What did you guys think of the um, of, of of Lupin and Tonks dying? I mean, this was kind of just a shock because we didn't see it actually happen. Honestly, uh, and I'll just say this. Uh, I, to me, when I read it for the first time, it just seemed it seemed right in the <laughs> sense that he was just going through. Not, not, not right in the sense that they deserve to die. Don't get me wrong, because I know I'll get plenty of... Um, it just seemed like a natural progression because of the the way that that scene was written, that all of a sudden he was going to turn around and he was going to see other people who he held very close to him lying there as well. Mm-hmm. And I think what it did even more was it kind of isolated Harry from the whole scene that was taking place. You had the Weasleys and Hermione and Fleur who were surrounding Fred, and he really felt uncomfortable in that position more so now because of what Voldemort had said earlier in the chapter. And he also felt you know, like he didn't belong, and that this was really his fault. That f- that Fred had died because of him. That Remus and and Tonks had died because of him. And it, when I read it through the first time, it, I don't know that it struck me a- as hard as it probably struck some other people. It just seemed like there there was going to be casualties of war, and it was a reality. I felt very this... sorry. No, go ahead. I felt very numb when I was reading it for the first time because it was like everyone was dying didn't they say in this scene there was something like 50 people just spread out dead across the great hall yeah they were yeah. all lined up i think against yeah them. yeah one of the walls they were all s- sleeping looking do you guys think that tonks and lupin should have deserved a death scene or do you think it was right for these two deaths to sort of come out of nowhere and just be listed well, from two Lupin so, and two big characters, Lupin so and Tonks weren't Lupin. weren't originally supposed to die. Is that right? Wasn't J.K. Rowling de- right. decided to um to 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 kill him off later? Right. Yeah, that's yep. right. Did she ever say why? She was supposed to kill. She was supposed to kill Arthur Weasley in Order of the Phoenix, but she allowed him to live. Right, and she killed these two characters instead. She said in the interview that um, she reprieved um, Mr. Weasley, but killed two others instead at the same time. So, uh, right. the first time I heard that, I thought, "Well, okay, so she let this person live, and then she just automatically just killed two other people." What was so weird about it was that she reprieved the character from a completely different book and decided to kill the other yeah. two in Deathly Hollows, yeah. which. Which, which is what didn't make sense to me. If you were, everyone was thinking, oh, a reprieve. She must have reprieved a character that was supposed to die in Deathly right. Hollows, but in fact, 
It was from two yeah, books. Yeah, I right? was not expecting yeah. book five. It just uh, goes to show Joe has a death quota. Yeah, yeah, has to fill it <laughs> just the same way police officers have a ticket quota. At the end of the month. But, but you guys, end of the book, you gotta have a certain amount of people dead. Right. Mm-hmm. But you guys still didn't answer my question. Is we didn't want to answer you, it. Do you think Tonks and Lupin deserved a death scene? Because a lot of people are complaining that poor Tonks and Lupin, here we are, they're, they're made out to be pretty big characters. We see and hear from them a lot. Harry obviously has a lot of interaction with him in um, Prisoner of Azkaban. And then he he just suddenly, out of nowhere, we just see the Tonks and Lupin Well, died. Harry doesn't have to be around where all the people he knows dies. Yeah, well, that's I think my that question. would have been too much. Okay. He had so many other things he was doing. It would have been, frankly, impossible for him to be around for every big character death. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. I guess it would have been. And you have to think of the position, too, that I would have put him in. Because doesn't um, Remus dies from, was it Dolohov? And then Tonks dies at the hand of Bellatrix. So it would he would have been in a very precarious situation there where really, I mean, he was a little bit safer off. Not much, but a little bit safer doing what he was mm-hmm. doing. And it would have been weird for them to cut to a scene where Remus and Tonks were back. And if Harry was with them when when Lupin and Tonks died, he would have been at the hands of, of Bellatrix and Dalha. Right. I mean, he would have been in the heart of the exactly. battle. Mm-hmm. That's where they were. I mean, Tonks and Lupin and, knew pretty much what, what they were headed for at the beginning of the battle. And I respect that. And to go back to what you were saying before, Matt, the reason why I think she killed him, she said in a interview she wanted the story to come full circle in the sense that, um, you know, a, a child was orphaned and was still able to grow up and have a good life even though his parents were not around. Mm-hmm. And that was the reason why she felt that she needed to kill those two characters. Yeah, I can understand that. Just to kind of like put Harry's little orphanage story full circle with that. Well, let's move along. Okay, uh, moving along. Um, after the sight of of the, of the death in the Great Hall, um, Harry leaves the Great Hall trying not to um, let the emotion of, of all the passings um, affect him. And uh, what do you guys think about that? J- j- just the fact that Harry's just trying to just shut everything out at the moment? Do you think it's you know it's a good thing to suppress all that emotion? Well, when you see so many people in one room that you're close to, or when you see so many people dead because Voldemort wants you, I I, I can't imagine how Harry would have been able to control his emotions and get that out of his head. Yeah, obviously none of us have ever been in that position. No. Right. I mean, but even I have, but. Well, yeah, like death of a loved one. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> I was being sarcastic. Oh. You know, I, I went up against this dark wizard oh. once. And <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, Fifty yeah. of my friends died because of it. Um, but I just, I cannot, I can honestly understand how he was numb. You know, like it just, it's such an emotion overload. You know yeah. how it is, like when you've just had such a bad day, you had so much stress, and people have. You just have been yelling at you at your job or school or whatever, and you get home and it's like nothing anyone else can say to you can make it worse. Right. That's true, yeah. And so it's like your mind's reaction is to just shut down, you know, just like erase all reaction. 
to that circumstance. Yeah. You're just numb to anything else. I mean, it's basically his he's his emotion bucket is filled. And it can't get any and it can't get any more full. <laughs> Alright, so now in memory of Lupin and Tonks, we will play Just the Two of Us by Bill Withers. We can make it if we try. Look for love, no time for tears. Wasted water's all that is, and it don't make no flowers grow. Good things might come to those who wait, but not for those who wait too late. We gotta go for all we know. Just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Just the two of us. So now we move on to the part of this chapter that really takes up the majority of it. Um, and it's it's what we've really been wanting to know since Half-Blood Prince. Um, it's Snape's memory. Everyone will re- remember that last chapter, Snape gave Harry a couple of his memories. So Harry went into Dumbledore's office and he's now going to jump into Snape's memories. In the beginning of this pensive scene, um, we see um, Snape looking at, watching Lily and um, Petunia uh, with a greed um, expression on his face, and I was just wondering what kind of a why would why would his his emotion or his expression you know show greedness in it? He he wants Lily. Is that what it means? Well, we know that's the case, but uh, I also think it's a little bit of the fact that he likes what Lily is doing to Petunia, in the sense of you know. She's not really supposed to be doing magic, but is doing it anyway to kind of aggravate her sister. So yeah. Snape likes that rebellious attitude. To well, he may just else. like the fact that you know Lily has the upper hand on her sister, and because he, I don't think he really sees them two as sisters. He probably sees Lily as the witch and Petunia as the Muggle, and he just likes the superiority of um, the two sisters. Yeah, and he, he and he does call her Muggleborn. Yeah, he, he calls her Muggleborn all, all, or Mudblood a lot. Actually, until she starts to yell at him to stop. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, w- what I was just wondering was, since Lily is underage and she's, you know, underage wizards and witches can do magic unintentionally or without, you know, being reprehended, but Lily can do it, you know, whenever she wants. She can do it as intentional. And um, Petunia told Lily um, that Mommy said not to, you know, do magic. And I was just wondering, was her mother ever informed on this, or is it just her mother telling her to stop doing those silly things? Was her mother, like, told by a, um, a muggle, you know, witch enforcer about children should not be doing magic in front of muggles? Well, it could be, but if I recall correctly, didn't Hermione not know she was a witch until she got her letter from Hogwarts? Mm-hmm. But she didn't know. But so, did, did she know that she was doing the magical stuff? Well, they might not have known that it was magical, but like I, I kind of liken it to how kids will just do things, and and this is my experience. Like I work retail, so we get a lot of people coming in who aren't paying attention to their children, and then their children are doing dumb things, and then they kind of say, "Oh no, honey, don't do that," 
you know, and that's kind of what I liken it to. Like, maybe she did magic, but then her mom didn't see what it was and just saw that she had done something weird. Like, maybe she got mad and she broke something yeah. and her mom assumed that she threw it, you know? And she probably told Lily not to do that because it upset Petunia also. But I still wonder what her mom was thinking. Like, was her mom like, what? what is this? Is she magical? Or Okay, so um, as we go along in the chapter, um, Snape um, confronts Lily and just, you know, tells... Uh, tells her that he's been watching her and for a while and you know, I was just kind of wondering how long Snape has actually been you know spying on Lily you know um, this is I, I found this kind of kind of cool that um, when um, Snape and Lily start when Lily starts you know asking questions about, um, to Snape about you know being a witch and the wizarding world and everything she actually queries about um Dementors in Muggle World and Underage Magic. And I just thought it was a great um, parallel to um, her son from, you know, Order of the Phoenix, because that's exactly what happens to her son, is Dementors come into um, the Muggle World and attacks him while he's underage. Yeah, and what's also great about this is we had assumed when Petunia talked about hearing Lily and a man talking about Dementors, we all thought it was James, but it was really Snape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is interesting. It's a nice little bit of foreshadowing on Joe's part. Well, not really foreshadowing, like but... Like pre-foreshadowing yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pre-foreshadowing. So there's a point here where um, Lily is talking to Snape, and Lily says, he couldn't believe a muggle could have contacted Hogwarts, that's all. He says there must be wizards working undercover in the Postal Service who take care of Blah blah blah. Um, how could this have been? Could there really um, have been wizards working undercover who handle, who keep an eye on the postal service for for people writing to Hogwarts? I can believe that. Why not? Yeah. I mean, not every wizard has to work in the ministry. Yeah, but in the U.S. post office, but working undercover. I don't know. It just seems a little. It would be interesting if they did. But I mean, and this is after they find out, or or we find out as readers that Petunia had written to Dumbledore. Yeah, th- th- this this is after when um when Snape read Petunia's letter, and he was just surprised that that um Petunia got a letter back from from Dumbledore. That's what it was. What if when it goes in the mail, it just magically goes to Hogwarts. I don't know. It sounds kind of stupid, but... It's not a bad idea. Like if, like if someone writes an address and then just magically just yeah. apparates? Sorry, when I first started talking about this, I said Lily talking to Snape or vice versa. It was actually Lily talking to Petunia. So moving along, um, let's talk about Petunia as a child and, you know, her just her character at, at this point in the series. This is finally, you know, the part that J.K. Rowling has told her fans that will... We'll find out more about Petunia later on in Book Seven. And do you guys think this was kind of like a cop out? I mean, it, it's to me, it seemed kind of just too kind of an easy outcome for Petunia's character. She was okay. She was jealous of being a witch, or that she wasn't a witch. That's what I got from it. I think based on her character throughout the entire series that this was kind of surprising to just see how badly she wanted to be like Lily and how badly she wanted to go to Hogwarts. But then I think 
if you would have known this beforehand and saw the way that she turned out, I guess it would have been kind of expected that that's how she would treat Harry because Mm -hmm. Harry was something that she could never have been. But isn't it kind of obvious? I mean, didn't we all think that that's the way she was? Like, I mean, I thought that, you know, there's like this huge secret behind her or something. Didn't a lot of people also contemplate that she was the one who was supposed to be able to do magic later in life? Yeah. yeah. We were going to see something from her. Right. But that ended up not happening. At all? J.K. Rowling said she left it out of the book completely. So no one ended up doing magic later in life. We skip through the um, the, the pensive um, through like just transitions and we come to the part where, um, where Snape and Lily are on the train and they meet uh, Sirius and James. And what I, which was kind of a, a cool quote, was um, basically we find out what Snape's um, vision of what Gryffindors are, because you know um, Sirius and Sirius and James were talking about like, well, I want to be in Gryffindor. Gryffindors is, you know, the bravest and everything. But you know, Snape says, so you'd rather be brainy than or brawny than brainy. And I was just. Wondering if that's how, like, the whole Slytherin house sees Gryffindors as just as just full bronze and no brains. But why Slytherin? That's my question. I mean, if he wants to be brainy, why wouldn't he be in Ravenclaw? I mean, what what's the draw for Snape to Slytherin? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm sure I'm sure the um, the Slytherins pride themselves in pretty much the best in all of the categories in the houses. So they probably you know just see Maybe. themselves more. But you always compare brains and bronze too. You don't compare like with anything else. What, what is bronze exactly? Is, is it's like, like it's like um br- brute strength, I think. Is, right? Is yeah. That what it so is? why? Yeah. I mean, was Griffin was was Gryffindor just a, a bunch of jocks back then in the day? Because look at it now; it's got you know characters like Ron well, Weasley or all the Weasleys. Well, it's not. It's not. I wouldn't consider it like jock. I mean, technically, like it's knighthood like or strength. Something. It's like strength against intelligence basically so like for instance we know that a Gryffindor is far more likely to leap before they look right you know so I think it's just kind of that whole dynamic that we've seen that's almost stereotypical of Gryffindors and Slytherins that Slytherins are more inclined to look both ways whereas Gryffindors um, are very charged by their emotions Mm -hmm. and their gut feeling as opposed to thinking I mean Slytherins are more concerned for their well-being than you know, for the fight itself, the whole Snape versus Dumbledore. You act, we actually get to see again when Snape comes to Dumbledore for, you know, for for repent on the stuff that he did. And what did you guys think about when you read this chapter? I, I mean, we 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 get we get to see a side of Dumbledore that we haven't seen before, a more of um, a disgust look, and it was just a, a different side that we haven't seen before. Yeah. Well, it finally connects everything that we've been... This whole scene finally connects everything we've been wanting to hear for so long. And, of course, this is also the scene where we find out that Harry needs to die, which we'll talk about in a second. But, um... Yeah. Well, I also think it goes to show that Dumbledore got almost stereotyped by a lot of his critics. Because people would say that he would just welcome people back with open arms and it's really not the case here he very much criticizes Snape it's not that he won't allow him the opportunity mm-hmm. but he does make him prove himself yes uh, absolutely and and Matt I mean you even put the line here where he says you disgust me yes um, 
you know, and it's said in the book that never had Harry seen such contempt in Dumbledore's eyes. So it's a completely different look at Dumbledore from what we're used to seeing, as Laura mentioned. Dumbledore was essentially saying, um, take it or leave it. You know, are you going to be on mm-hmm. my side or not? And it's just amazing that that Snape actually just is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, well, it's there, like are, there is Dumbledore doesn't need to try to pull Snape in. Snape just comes Well, yeah, I mean, Dumbledore is offering him what Voldemort won't, you know? And I think that goes to show that Snape, it's really hard to call him a good or a bad person, you know? Because on the one hand, he is actually protecting someone he loves at great expense to himself. But on the other, he's only doing the right thing because of her. And furthermore, Dumbledore even said, um, what was it? Uh, you do not care then about the deaths of her husband and child. They can die as long as you have what you want. Yeah. And so it was. It was to show that Snape. It, he might not even care so much about what Lily wanted. You know. Yeah. But Dumbledore's being hypocritical there himself, though. I mean, it, it's funny because in this very instant, he is manipulating Snape and playing off the fact that Snape cares deeply for Lily and that's kind of what Voldemort does to a lot of his victims throughout the course of the series he plays off their emotions and you know in that instant Dumbledore is no better than than Voldemort well except for the fact that he's not doing it to kill people well well and also Dumbledore is basically telling him you know there are certain you know things we're going to have to do in order for you to uphold what you promised as as you know like in order to protect you know Lily and her her remembrance you have to basically just swallow the contempt you have for James and protect his son we learn a lot about Snape kind of through these intermittent memories that pop up and you know he, that he's really doing a lot of this that probably wasn't expected of him and that you know the, the whole reason behind him protecting Harry was was for Lily. Everything throughout the rest of the series that he does is really for Lily. Yeah. Well, uh, moving along, then we find out about the ring Horcrux. Um, Snape was able to stop the spell temporarily, uh, hence the black hand, but Snape does tell him... Or does Snape tell Dumbledore or Dumbledore just says it? Um, Snape basically... Yeah, D- Dumbledore asks him how long does he have, and Snape tells him he has a year to live. So Dumbledore breaks the news to Snape that Harry has to die in order for Voldemort to die. It's something that really hadn't been speculated about much. Um, although I know MuggleNet, Emerson, Ben were big believers of the fact that Harry was a Horcrux. Michael, what did you think when you read this? Yeah, it was... Uh, Eric did a whole show about it. I mean, he raised him as a pig for slaughter, yeah. absolutely. And Snape went off on Dumbledore, and he had every right yeah. to. Well, that was the big bombshell, and I th- believe that's that's what happens at the end of the chapter. All right, well, um, I want to point out real quick that Laura um, was in the middle of some really heavy thunderstorms, and her internet died. So um, she may be back on the show, but... Probably not. If not, she'll yeah. Be back. Let's just hope she's you know still alive by the morning. Well, it's just a thunderstorm. Anyway, it's time for quote quiz, 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 quiz. It's all part of the plan. There's something I've got to do. Listen, Neville. That's quote quiz this week. Oh, jeez. So it's not Neville who talks. So now it is just the three of us. Let's do um, favorites this week. Okay. 
haven't done favorites for a while, and we're going to do one um, sent in by a listener. It's from Caitlin, 20 of Alabama. She writes, hey, y'all. I love the show and have been a listener since episode 50. I hope you all are still doing favorites because I have an idea. I'm about five episodes behind, so I hope you all do have not done this yet. In episode 133, you all briefly discussed teaser trailers, and I was wondering which one you all. <laughs> she likes saying it's y'all. 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 Not y'all. Like the most. My favorite is the one for Goblet of Fire when they showed shots of the trio in years one, two, three, and four. I love how they showed how much the trio has grown up and how much closer they're becoming. I hope you like my idea. Pickles, Caitlin. So I think this is I think this is fitting since uh, we're hoping the teaser trailer comes out. The next teaser trailer comes out with uh, Half Blood Prince or with Get Smart on June twentieth. Um, Matt, what? Yes. What? We'll start with you. What's your favorite teaser trailer? My favorite teaser trailer will have to be just like Caitlin's. Um, it's the Goblet of Fire one because um, for pretty much the same reasons. I love the whole um, transitions from um, the trio's age through. Um, you know, chronological order of how they grew, and just the music from the third film, uh, "Window to the Past" by um, John Williams, of course. And it just it just flowed so naturally good, and it was just a great transition between the the previous movies to the to the new one that you're you're gonna go watch. Yeah, um, I'm actually gonna agree with Matt and Caitlin. The Goblet of Fire teaser trailer it really sent a powerful message when that beginning they added a whole beginning to it just to take a look back and they extended the typical teaser trailer length just to give a look back at how how much they've grown and i have to wonder why they did that because i don't know if that was necessary but i do think that um it was a good idea and it was very it was very Mm -hmm. touching now micah how about you um, well, uh, I, I'll go with the Order of the Phoenix because I'm not going to agree with, uh, either. <laughs> Why not? I think that's too, that's too easy after, uh, you know, letting you guys right. go first. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I like the whole Dumbledore in the ministry courtroom going, the evidence the Dark Lord has returned is incontrovertible. And the whole, uh, Snape scene telling Harry to prove it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that so. was great. That that's what really got me excited for for that movie. And then it was a miserable failure. So uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, don't um, say that. It wasn't a miserable failure. No, it it wasn't. It, it was a good movie. It wasn't the best one, I don't think, but it was a good movie. Yeah. All right. Well, um, now we're going to um, move on, on to, to voicemails. voicemails Hi, Mobilecast. I'm Iris from Montana. I have a question about Accio. I always thought you couldn't accio a person, but in the chapter of the Seven Potters, when Harry and Hagrid are flying on the motorcycle, and Hagrid is knocked into the air, Harry yells, accio Hagrid, and Hagrid zooms back up to the motorcycle. Then, I got to thinking, if you can accio people, why has no one ever tried to accio Voldemort? I mean, I know he probably uses protective spells around him, but not always. So couldn't someone just accio Voldemort, and then before he realizes where he is, they could quickly stupefy him and kill him? Anyway, I love the show. You guys are awesome. Thanks. Bye. Didn't she... I could have sworn I read an email exactly like this. Well, there's always a lot of questions over Accio because... Um, mm-hmm. Is that true, though? Did he call on him to... Uh, did he call uh, Accio on Hagrid, Hagrid? And, he, and he float back? He didn't come back. But he tried no, to. He, he tried to, yeah, but right. it didn't work. Right. But apparently, in theory, it would work. 
So is it, it does that work on just um, inanimate objects though? Well, no, I don't think so because Harry was trying it. I don't, I don't know if Harry would make a mistake about that. Well, he probably said it in like desperate. You know, I mean, he was in, in desperation. You know, you, you just say what the first thing comes to your mind, and Accio is come to you know is is a summoning charm. Yeah. yeah, I guess. I don't know. Micah, do you have any thoughts on this? I mean, why would you want to Accio Voldemort? Well, well, because well, then that her, her both idea ways. was... Why couldn't Voldemort Accio Harry? That's true. Well, I think Accio is one of those things. I think by definition, it's only an object. I don't know if but it's ever it been have said to be within your work. reach, though, too? I mean, you can't just say it and have Voldemort fly five well, countries away. Well, Harry... Um, Accio'd his broom during the Triwizard Tournament, too. Right, and that was from that was away. That was from the castle. Yeah. Um, but then she didn't she say stupefy Voldemort and kill him? I mean, that's not exactly going to work, is it? No. Because of all the uh, Horcruxes. Right. And... I think Accio is just one of those things in Harry Potter that, you know, it's sort of a flaw, but it's not. It's just one of those. It's like one of those. Why, why do you never see them use the bathroom? It's just another one of those types of things, I think. I guess. Um... I think there's only one answer to this. Okay. Another voicemail. Hi, MotoCast. This is Nicole. Um, I'm from New Hampshire. Um, I, had a, I had a really random question that I was thinking about um, the other day. Um, is why that they so, so many people in the Harry Potter series have a name for their house, um, like the Burrow and Shell Cottage. And I was wondering, like, do you think it's because it's to make it easier to, like, operate there or something? I don't know. I was just wondering your thoughts on that because I, mean, I found that really interesting, like, why so many people name their houses. And I don't know. I love the show, and that's my favorite. Bye. Is it a literary device to um, just have names for the houses, like the borough, the shrieking Well, shack? we never hear any addresses. Maybe that's just the way they get around is they call out, you know, names. Well, right. That's for, what like, she was saying. By, by, it would help by flu powder if, if places just had names. It is kind of worth noting. Or is, is that just how storytelling works? You have names instead of addresses. What do you think, Micah? I mean, I think it just gives a different feel to it. It separates them from the muggle world, like number four Privet Drive. Or, you right. Know, it's Although just, that's an actual address. It's different. I mean, I know you got Grimmauld Place. Yeah. So, it, I don't know. Maybe it's just J.K. Rowling's writing style. Maybe it's just... Uh, the way the British do it. All right, so we have one more voicemail to get to. Laura's back. Laura, you got your internet. You got your internet fixed. You survived uh, for right now, anyhow. Okay. You know. Well, let's Ooh, try to way get to stay the optimistic, there, Laura. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's uh, next voicemail. Hi, Mugglecast. This is Molly from Rhode Island, and I'm just calling because I just finished listening to episode 148, and you wanted or didn't want Dumbledore's funeral cut but you felt that it might because it was too sad but I was also thinking that movie four Goblet of Fire it had a pretty sad ending with Cedric's funeral so I know not everybody likes Cedric from listening to the show but I just thought I might add that so thanks bye well it wasn't they didn't that wasn't a funeral Cedric Derby did he even have a funeral but that was their that was their way of their eulogy Sort of. They just used. Yeah, yeah, but 
Dumbledore did give that presentation yeah, in the fourth book. They didn't book, take though. anything out from... Well, I think what the caller was just suggesting was that that's one way they could do it instead of doing a funeral. Well, that's basically what happened at the funeral, too, is that there was this huge speech. But, I mean, are they even going to really have that? I think that's what we were even... That's what we were discussing in the last episode was... You know what I thought was kind of weird, though, was... Uh... You know how at the end of Half Blood Prince, it, there's that it burst of flames and a phoenix rises, or what Harry thinks is a phoenix. Yeah. But then in Deathly Hollows, Voldemort goes into the casket and takes the Elder Wand. Right. Mm-hmm. How is that possible? Oh yeah, it's going to be random. <laughs> no, but isn't that a book mistake? I mean, oh, the casket no, bursts um, into flames. No, the casket doesn't what? burst into flames. It's like a magic thing where it it. it it, in, it it enclosed his body, didn't yeah. it? Like his, his yes. body oh, okay. caught on fire, and then the tomb grew around gotcha. him. It was kind of like a magical way of burying him. But I think you do bring up kind of a problem because it'll just—I mean, at least to me—and not that these movies haven't been random before, but it'll seem somewhat random if they completely disregard a funeral scene and then suddenly in the seventh book you have Voldemort breaking into Dumbledore's coffin. Mm. You know, oh, yeah. It, it'll yeah. seem he's still, weird. He's still going to die, though. I mean... Yeah, he'll die, but it's just... I don't know. I think it'll seem random, because it's like the place will hold no significance, really, especially mm-hmm. for people who haven't read the book. They're going to see Snape and Voldemort approaching this coffin, and I think they're it's going to be, be like, sad, what the hell is this? Just in general, because they're going to... Odds are they'll have Dobby's funeral scene and cut Dumbledore's funeral scene. <laughs> But what if what if he just burst into flames right on the ground in front of them and sort of like a mock grave was yeah. created right there? Could they get away with it like that? It'd be cheap. <laughs> yeah, well. A, a mock grave at the foot of the astronomy tower? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How <laughs> random would that be? I would put be? it past them. Walking around the, the castle and there's Dumbledore. Because the thing is, they didn't bring back the <laughs> characters, <laughs> right? Fire. They're not That's bringing so back sad. all the characters that show up at this funeral. Oh, I'm sure not. Yeah, or, I, they're not going to bring Umbridge back until uh, the, right, until the seventh. That. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. It just seems like a really big deal, so that's why we're talking about it more. But um, to wrap up just the show today, we have a chicken soup. Our chicken soup comes from Kelsey, age old enough to appreciate goat jokes. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Location, Texas. She writes, hey, MuggleCasters. I've been listening to MuggleCast since episode 20, and I'm an avid fan. However, once my life became centered around my boyfriend, later my fiancé, I had less time to listen to your weekly episodes. Well, recently, he decided that I wasn't the girl for him, leaving me devastated. I'm currently unable to listen to music or watch movies without bursting into tears. Happily, though, MuggleCast has become my cure. I've been catching up on all the episodes I've missed, and I'm not reminded of him. I actually laughed for the first time since he left me at one of Andrew's jokes, and I'm doing a lot better. He and I are going to be friends, and by listening to MuggleCast, I am able to face that with a smile on my face. My favorites are Andrew and Matt, Micah and Ben, who needs to host again and make me smile. Thanks for helping me... Yeah, I forgot, and Laura. Laura. (laughs) Laura's my favorite. Thank you for helping my heart heal, Kelsey. Well, I'm Aww. glad my joke was made such an impact. I mean, I know I'm very funny, so and very it's yeah. no surprise. Yeah. Okay, okay. Listen, I'm going to deflate your head right now. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for that, Kelsey. I hope things work out. But really, you know, we here at MuggleCast, if we've learned anything, it's that you don't really need real friends. You have the MuggleCasters. Mm-hmm. Ding. But I mean, we're we're not saying don't get friends. I mean, it'd be kind of nice. We're your friends. No, I'm being a bad influence. 
Well, I think that wraps up our show for today. I personally am looking forward to a live show next week. I don't know about you guys. I'm like yeah, really, really, so really, fun. really, really, really excited. They are so fun. Everyone always loves them when we do them. But the good thing about MuggleCast Live is that it is live and completely unscripted. And if one of us curses, which of course we don't, but if one of us curses, I you know, there's no going back. Micah might. If we bring up a new Half-Blood Prince picture he just made. <laughs> or if he doesn't like the teaser trailer, look out! <laughs> but in the meantime, let's remind everyone about our contact information if they want to get in touch with us. Laura, Laura. what's the P.O. Box? <laughs> P.O. Box 3151, Cumming, Georgia, 30028. You can also call in a MuggleCast... You can also call on a question if you would like to be a part of our voicemail segment. To do that, if you're in the United States, you can dial one two one eight twenty magic If you're in the United Kingdom, you can dial 020-814-0677. And if you're in Australia, you can dial 02-803-5668. You can also Skype the username MuggleCast uh, to call us that way for free. Or just visit MuggleCast.com for a handy feedback form to contact any one of us or use our first name at staff. MuggleNet.com. Don't forget that MuggleCast.com also has a variety of community links to uh, get more involved in the MuggleCast fandom. We have our MySpace, Facebook, YouTube, Prapper, Last.fm, and the fan listing and forums at MuggleCastFan.net slash forums. I was under scrutiny this week for not um, saying the URL because we Ooh, plugged they Twilight. Pissed. They were so ticked off with you, Andrew. Because we plugged Twilight Source, but we, we don't plug the fan forums. So there they go. There they are. You can also uh, follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash mugglecast. Dig the show at dig.com and vote for us once a month at Podcast Alley. Once again, as a reminder, um, keep an eye on mugglecast.com this week for an update about a live show if the teaser trailer does come out uh, with Get Smart. And also we'll be twittering about it the moment we decide on a date and a time. So uh, that does it for us this week. Episode 149. Wow. 150. Wow. What, what, what's 150 in Spanish? Uh, it would be... Ciento... Ciento mucho. Ciento mucho. Ciento cincuenta, I think. I think. I'm terrible with numbers in Spanish, though. Oh, okay. Well, point is, it's going to be a big episode. Um, and uh, we, hope to, we hope it's the live show. That would be wonderful timing. So um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Once again, I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Laura Thompson. I'm Micah Tannenbaum. And I'm Matt Britton. We'll see you next week for episode 150. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Let's move on to Muggle Mail this week. Matt, take it. Oh, question. hell no. You are not giving me this one. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> what, because you can't pronounce the last No, the middle. Yeah. The you first want me to try hyphen. it? I'll go for it. I don't care. If I butcher the name, I butcher the If I butcher the name, I butcher the name. All right. And there you go. Rest in peace, Snape. How we love you. 
how we all misunderstood. Where the hell's the song? I can't play it. I, I don't have it set up. We're just going to pretend I just played it. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Okay, so let's just pretend we just Next listened to it. Hopefully I'll have the whole studio set up and then we... Uh, Are we going to okay. redo that? Gotcha. No. Oh, okay. Can we not do anything the easy way around here? Good God. Well, Lord Voldemort, Lord Voldemort is basically giving them an option to live. And I could not hear a word you just said. I love you. You guys there? It's a very peaceful kind of quietness when you get from a dead body, but... I mean, I don't get it, but... Wait, that doesn't make any sense. We just cut that part out.